0: Welcome to the very first episode of the Hockey News Archive Show. My name is Matt LeBove, joined by longtime hockey news writer and hockey news historian, Adam Proto. Adam, how are you?
1: I'm great, Matt. Great to start this process and put together some material that people are going to enjoy. It is a process.
0: It is a total process, Mm -hmm. as as the Canadians would say. Um, (laughs) In case people have been living under a rock, which is plausible, there's a lot going on in the world, Hockey News has digitized all their old issues starting from 1846. So you can go on and get anything. It's not free, but why don't you talk about that, Adam, and kind of the efforts that you've been spearheading with the staff over at the Hockey News uh, to tell people about what's going on.
1: Sure. No, we're we're all excited at the Hockey News to, you know, finally have all the back issues available to everybody. You know, they used to all be stored, Matt, in just a series of leather-bound books, as was that the old uh, Will, Will uh, from Saturday Night Live joke, the leather-bound books, that type of stuff? So yeah. that's, what we, that's what we had, and I was always worried that, you know, if we ever had a, a fire or something that ever happened, we'd be in big trouble with, you know, keeping our history intact. So, you know, Graham Rooston is uh, the Hockey News owner. He's, he's invested a lot of money in making sure that the digitization process took place. Uh, it took maybe a little bit longer than than uh, we might have first projected, but it's all done now. And I think, as you can see and talk to, you know, the joy of of seventy six plus years uh, at your fingertips is is in my mind well worth the subscription. I think that's you know that's what you're paying for. And not only do you get the regular editions of you know every new magazine, but you get access to every other one. So um, I'm really thrilled to see how it's kind of turned out. And I think the best is yet to come as we show fans through this show. Talking to people that you know that have been in the hockey news, that have been on the hockey news cover, um, show people what a, a cultural institution it really is.
0: Over twenty six hundred different cover stories, twenty six hundred issues, one hundred and fifty six thousand stories over the seventy seven years of of the hockey news. It's insane the amount of content uh, that is now available. Because I know a lot of people love doing the deep dive to you know look at an old draft preview from the 70s or prospects i mean some of these uh these annual issues are always uh, the perennial favorites and so i think it's going to be great for people who um are pre-existing fans of the hockey news but also fans who are readers who have become recently more orientated they can go back because it's a lot of fun to look back and see who were big in the 40s and 50s and 60s and also chart the evolution of of hockey and technology and helmets and the, all the changes that have gone on in hockey um over the years. So um our first our first episode we are very mm-hmm. happy to have um former NHL all-star defenseman and current Tampa Bay color analyst Brian Engblom and also uh, a hockey news correspondent for the Tampa Bay Lightning DeAndre Lou she'll be joining us a little bit later on. So um Let's get into that shortly, but let want to talk about kind of as the early fifth of the season that we're all into right now, who are some of the, I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. Pick three, whether it's a team or a player, who are your biggest surprises so
1: far? Uh, probably the Vancouver Canucks would be up there, uh, you know, second, you know, right, almost neck and neck now with Vegas um at the top of the pacific division standings matt i think that was not something that people saw coming i think no. you know a lot of people projected them maybe to be a, pl- a, a wild card birth type of team but you know 13 5 and 1 to start the year that's that's pretty impressive uh by any stretch um i'm not going to say this next one was a huge surprise because the way they played last year you know we really should have expected this from them it's the boston bruins you know the exodus of talent. Um, that happened with the Bruins this summer. I think a lot of people, myself included, thought they might take a, a bump down the down the rankings in the Atlantic Division. But nope, they're just as good as they were before. Uh, one regulation Crazy. loss, one regulation loss in 17 games. I mean, that's that's amazing, and I think it speaks to their culture. It speaks to the you know the veterans that are still there. Um, and finally, my other biggest surprise would probably be Philadelphia. You know, they we're a team that not much was expected of present company included, but uh, John Tortorella has, has really given them some, some impetus to, and some urgency to their game. And, and I think that Metro division to me, Matt, it's still the toughest division in hockey. Um, you know, the Flyers also have, have impressed people, I think unknowingly, but the Flyers in particular, are, sorry, the Capitals also should be there, but the Flyers in, in particular are just, uh, really shocking. I think they've, you know, they've got a great goaltender in Carter Hart that some people might have thought uh, would be traded or still could be traded. That still might happen before the year's through. Um, but they're showing that they've, you know, getting some of their veterans back, Cam Atkinson, uh, and some other players. You know, they are maybe a little bit more formidable than people gave them credit for.
0: I think it's the magic of an Italian, a strong Italian, in Philadelphia. It's like Tortorella is like Rocky. And I think it's something about the city of brotherly love. He is galvanizing that fan base because last year, I mean, obviously it was his first season, but he inherited quite a mess. And uh, I think that they are on a better track than I think a lot of people projected them to be. And obviously it's still early, but uh, they are, um, as they say in baseball, a tough out.
1: Yeah, and I mean, 60 goals in 18 games. I mean, that's a pretty good offense. You know, Sean Couturier being back, you know, another big reason. But I agree. I think you know, Tortorella and Philly is probably the perfect, perfect match for each other in terms of you know being fiery and being emotional and and trying to galvanize your your team through that through that method. But um, you know, part of me still expects they'll drop off a little bit, only because the rest of the division is so competitive i mean the new jersey devils starting off as poorly as they have i don't know if that'll continue uh, the hurricanes also struggling to a certain degree um i don't know if that'll continue so i think this cushion that the flyers have given themselves mattis is going to help them you know kind of sustain themselves down the road of a, of a 82 game grind and uh, and we'll see if that's enough to get them in but you know i think they're going to be until they actually do it until they actually make the playoffs nobody's going to expect that they will
0: Well, we'll talk more when we have Scott Hartnell on. Uh, Coming up next, our first guest will be NHL all-star defenseman for the Montreal Canadiens, Washington Capitals, L.A. Kings, Calgary Flames at the end, a now color analyst of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Brian Engblom. All right, we are joined by our very first guest, uh, Mr. Brian Engblom. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you with us. Um, I don't even know where to start, but we're going to start very simply. Let's – Take us back to Winnipeg as a kid. Um, who did you root for? I mean, obviously, the Jets were not there at the time, and it was, uh, you know, a lot less teams than there are now. So kind of tell us kind of how you got into hockey and and, and who did you root for?
2: Yeah, growing up in Winnipeg, uh, I had lots of time to skate outside. The, the, winter, <laughs> uh, the winters are pretty good in Winnipeg. Uh, it seems to me by mm, mid-November, to probably Valentine's Day, you could skate outside. There was a a rink, an outdoor rink, a block and a half from my house, uh, so nice. it was great. So as soon as the ice was in, I was there every day after school. I think I started skating when I was two or three years old. My dad would take take me up there. Nice. Um, That's so I I did not I didn't even play indoors till I was nine. Um, I started playing oh. house league at five, <clears throat> and so there just weren't that many arenas um early on so yeah we were playing outside and you know for us kids it wasn't it wasn't bad we loved it for the parents the poor parents that 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 was ugly because in january you get probably two weeks where it doesn't get above 25 below morning noon or night and you know you're still playing at 25 below most of the time before they start thinking about canceling back then we we played a lot when it was really cold some guys would be crying their eyes out because their toes are frozen (laughs) and everything and they're wearing their mom's gloves underneath their hockey gloves and everything is you know that's just the way it was and in winnipeg but it was great loved it so
0: sounds uh, very similar to my upbringing here in san fernando valley you
2: know, freezing, <laughs> drops
0: below 60 degrees. Ooh, it was crazy. Um, so you did the kind of unconventional route, uh, certainly more so back then of a Canadian going to a U.S. college. Yeah. Uh, what was kind of the, the the reasoning, the rationale of let's, you know, not do junior, let's go to college? Because it was, you know, I think back it was like Ken Dryden and a handful of other players. And so I'd love to hear more about that.
2: Yeah. Uh, let's see. By the time I was about f- 15, I was playing Junior B, and I was also going to private school, St. John Ravens Court, and we had kids from all over the world there. Um, I had a hockey scholarship there, um, and it, it was it was great, but I was playing on like three different teams. I played on, on the uh, Winter Olympic, uh, not the Winter Olympic, the uh, Canada Winter Games um, for Manitoba that year, too. And anyway, I had a coach on one of the many teams I was playing on, Frank Bishop, who had seen a couple of guys go and play college. And he said, you ought to think about that because I was a decent student. Um, And so he said, it's a really good opportunity to get an education. My mom was an elementary school teacher. So, you know, she was really big on it. Uh, So that put it in the back of my mind. I went, hey, that's great. You know, I was starting to know more and more about college programs. And I was starting soon, it wouldn't take long before I started getting contacted by some of them. And uh, I was really interested. So um, I went on a couple of trips. I went to Colorado College on a, re- a recruiting weekend, and I went to Wisconsin, which is where I ended up going. Right. Um, and then a couple of I, already, I committed to them pretty quickly to Wisconsin. And uh, then I had a couple more calls after that, but I'd already committed. So um uh, I remember Herb Brooks was at Minnesota at the time, and he was really pissed when he heard I'd already, especially because I'd already committed to Bob Johnson in Wisconsin. That didn't go over very well. It was a pretty short phone conversation, but I got the message. <laughs> good luck, very rough way. So I'll, I'll never forget that, and good for him too. Yeah, I love you know loved him for it.
0: Did you guys ever so when Herb was a coach in the Rangers and then in, the, in the NHL? Did you guys ever talk? You
2: know back in the locker no, room not, area uh not that i can remember no not so much about that i mean kind of the acknowledgement of you know college hockey i don't remember any you know really in-depth conversation about it right but we're certainly both aware of each yeah. other very
1: cool mm-hmm. adam okay yeah brian so you were drafted 22nd overall 1975. um montreal canadians obviously biggest franchise in the league most you know wing franchise in the league um I guess there's pressure, obviously, from being that high up of a of a pick, but also going to a team that is the gold standard. Um, how did you deal with that pressure uh, as a kid?
2: Uh yeah, the the draft. Actually, I got drafted the year before by Winnipeg too, twenty second overall, the WHJ too. That one shocked. Me. <laughs> I didn't even know until the next day. Wow. Uh, and no, even, no TSN back then. Yeah, really. And <laughs> and uh, so obviously I certainly didn't go. Not many guys were going to a draft back then. Maybe the top, you know, three or four or five guys if they live close enough, I'm guessing. But um, I remember when I got drafted, I was working for the city of Winnipeg, and my dad came and found me uh on draft day, and he walked up and, and like that was really unusual. I was mowing the lawn near one of the rinks that I used to play at the arenas that I used to play, that was my job that day was mowing the lawn and uh, I could see him walking up and I was like, okay, that's strange. Hopefully nothing. And then I went, Oh, it's draft day. And he just got within range and he went, bonjour. And I went, Oh, you're kidding. He does not speak French. You know, he didn't speak French. So I went, wow. He said, yeah, Montreal. I went, wow. Interesting. So it was, uh, yeah your brain starts you know going a thousand miles an hour it was my sophomore year and i'm trying to decide art kaminsky ended up being my agent and he was he he was famous for having gone to school with ken dryden represented ken and uh, started to have a couple of college guys and he was he was smart because college was starting i mean teams in the NHL were starting to draft a lot of college guys like more and more anyway, right. and not necessarily most of the guys, a lot of them were not coming out right away, you know, like it is today. Some stay mm-hmm. another year or two or three, depending on when they get drafted. Uh, but I knew I just, I just wanted to leave. I I'd had enough of school and I, you know, I wanted to give it a shot. So I left after my sophomore year and uh, knowing, you know, they're a pretty stacked team, but really, you know, naive about everything. Uh, should I have stayed another year in college? I, I've never really. Uh, some people have asked me that. and I went. You know what? I I didn't really care. I was I was ready to leave. So I think it probably would have been, you know, a year like this. You know, in in college, both in school and, and uh, on the ice. So I, you know, I'm glad I did what I did, and I ended up playing two years in in Nova Scotia because they were such a stacked team. That was the beginning of the four cups in a row for Montreal. Yeah, I want um, yeah,
0: yeah, was was
1: to. Sorry, sorry, my follow-up question just for you was, you know, sometimes people see playing in the AHL as a, a demotion or, you know, some players might look at that. But I mean, at that time, the AHL was, you know, a very good league. And, and you know, was that necessary for you to kind of build your, your game as a professional? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I
2: went to training camp, and you know, you could you could see the scale. You're overwhelmed by it all. Lafleur and you know Savard, Robinson, Lapointe, uh, cornway all these guys. You're kind of okay. <laughs> I'm out here, and you're supposed to act normal. Um, and so it it. And I think we had all of about three days, and then it's like gentlemen, start your engines, and you know, on your way to Halifax. Uh, so <laughs> that Nova Scotia Voyageurs uh, were. Uh, the far, the American League affiliate. And Al McNeil was a coach and it was really the best thing that ever happened to me. Al being a former defenseman, he really taught me what the pro, pro game was all about. And that, you know, big difference from college. So um, that turned out to be a, a great thing. At the beginning, we had seven defensemen on the team, even in Halifax. And uh, I thought, geez, you know, this might be tough. And by, I don't know, halfway through, because we shared affili- um, so a couple of players. I think we had four guys from Atlanta. <laughs> uh, and so that's why it was, you know, it was pretty deep. So anyway, by halfway through the year, guys getting called up. Bill Nairok got called up. Rick Shartreuk got called up. He was still playing defense at the time before he became a forward. And uh, we we're down to four. We we're playing four four guys <laughs> a lot of night. So it was uh, a quick learning experience. And it was great. Again, it was it was the best thing that happened. So two years there, um, I was able to progress really quickly and I needed it. And then I got called up in the playoffs right at the end of that second year because they had already won uh two Stanley Cups. And uh we won the Calder Cup both year, uh both years too in the American League. So it was a pretty stacked organization that Sam Paula could put together. <laughs>
0: Uh, I wanted to ask you just about your time in Nova Scotia. You have kind of touched upon it. Um, teammates, Rick Bonus was he a teammate back then at the time with you?
2: Uh, he was Atlanta. He was Atlanta. Oh, favorite. okay. Yeah, so he was not playing. He was not playing with us. But I, you know, we're the same age, and we started playing pro, you know, basically at the same time. But I didn't really know Rick. No, got just it. Having played against him, yeah. Got it. So
0: you get called up. And so you kind of alluded to it, you know, in training camp when you're, you know, with the big three defensemen, the you know the, the Mount Rushmore, of, yeah. of Montreal Canadian defensemen. What's, it? I mean, you're a young guy, you're what 22 at the time. Um, the first game that you're there, like the regular season game or the playoff, like what's going through your head, like at, at when you're, you know, do they, did you get to do the pregame skate or that, that's a newer thing I would think, right, with players, or did you get, no. you didn't get the lap.
2: Uh. I played a couple of preseason games. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't remember anything like that happening.
0: That's a newer uh, tradition, I guess.
2: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> the first real game that I played was a playoff game. Um, I got called up in St. Louis, in, and it was in St. Louis. And uh, so, I got there. I think it was even game day because they had a couple, they had a couple of injuries at the last minute, and I think somebody had the flu. So it was one of those things. It was Al calling me and saying, "Hey, you're on a plane tomorrow morning." go right to St. Louis, good luck, just play your game. You know, kind of like that, here's your ticket, you know, and and so you go and everything's pretty overwhelming. Uh, So I don't remember how much I played, you know, I don't remember seeing any score sheets or, or, you know, even at the end of the game, never mind in in between periods to know what your ice time was or anything. I don't remember, you know, seeing any of that back then, but um, I survived it. Um, It was the, the big three were great always to me um, and to everybody else. I think you'll learn as much as you learn from coaches. Uh, I mentioned Al McNeil, but you'll learn from playing with great players and against them. You know, there's, there's an osmosis there. Um, right. and when it's Savard Robinson to the point, it's pretty darn good. Larry in particular was really good to me. Um, and, you know, we're still, you know, good friends to this day. And, I uh, used to go to his house and listen to Steve Martin tapes, and we'd laugh our, our rear ends off there. But, you know, that's one of the things off, <laughs> off the ice that was great. Um, but he, he was particularly good. But on the ice, you, you just saw what they did and how they handled themselves. Uh, and, you know, that was a, a, a huge, uh, huge lesson and a huge help playing with those guys.
0: And the pressures of playing in the Montreal market must have been—I mean—and again, this is the era before social media and and uh, cell phones yeah. and things like that. But the pressure still must have been uh, inordinate, and you know, especially in comparison to playing in Los Angeles or some of the other places um, in you know untraditional hockey markets. You want to love to hear yeah. a little bit about
2: that? People, people today, especially don't really get that data they don't understand unless they're from montreal in that era and our guys um it wasn't make the playoffs it was win the cup right and so uh and that was it you know in boston and the islanders were the next two best teams there were probably you know maybe four teams each year that you go yeah those are the four that you know the injuries and whatever um you know who's who's gonna win uh There was an enormous amount of pressure. Did I enjoy playing in Montreal after it was over, after the games were over? In the the games, especially when you're playing with the big three, you felt like every mistake of yours shone so brightly because they didn't seem to ever make any. Right. And so, you know, they're carrying, you know, the flow of the game and they're playing a ton and, you know, they get a minute and a half shifts, you know, and no big deal We're play the, the whole power play. The game was at a, you know, a different speed. And um, so, you know, they had a lot of ice time and then you sat for long stretches and then you got out there and that's when you're not really in the game. Sometimes it was, it was hard. It was, <clears throat> it was difficult. And there were a lot of times where, you know, the the pressure was oh, I, I felt it a lot. And this is in November or January, never mind the playoffs. So, you know, by my third year where I was, you know, part of the team from start to finish, uh, and still, you know, scratched. You know in the press box a, uh, a lot and that was really frustrating and difficult too because guys that i played with and against in college and even in the manitoba junior league before before i uh, you know went to college uh paul baxter was my partner for the winnipeg monarchs you know he was playing the wha camp connor was, you know, a big deal out of Flin Flon and and signed, you know, for a lot of money, played in, you know, Phoenix. And then I forget where else in the WHA. So all these things are going on. And, and I'm looking and going, you know, I'm still, this is my third year. And yeah, we've won two Calder cups and yeah, I'm on a great team, but I wanted to play, you know, I wanted to, to have a chance to develop the NHL faster. But, you know, when you look back at it now, you know, there are a lot of guys who would certainly uh, gladly change uh, spots with me. You know, having been on a couple of cup teams, my name's on the cup twice. So, but I can say I played on three cup teams because I played in the playoffs that first year. But I didn't qualify to get my name on the cup in two Calder Cups. So four championships in the first four years pro wasn't bad. I thought, hey, this is the way it's going to be. This is great. Do you wear the rings? <laughs> yes. Do you ever
0: wear the, all the rings on your fingers just to walk around the house? Uh, no, I have.
2: I have. So I have the two two rings from the years. I did. they didn't give me a ring from that first year, uh, the first time I was with them. But yeah, um, oh yeah, I I wear them. It's, it's funny you say that. I don't have it with me on this road trip. I'm in Chicago right now. Um, I didn't just happen to put it on, but most of the time in the winter I I do wear excuse me, I do wear one or the other. And as you should that's the thing about ours compared to, you know, today's rings, which are gorgeous, no doubt. But ours are much smaller and our guys we we wear them. How often do you see the players these days that have been a recent championship winners? How many guys wear their rings? Because they're gigantic. Got <laughs> Pretty gaudy. And so, you know, our, we, we wear them c- uh, quite a bit. So it's a great thing.
0: I want to talk about, up. Oh, sorry. Sure, Matt. I, just a quick just question. I've, uh, yeah. We're talking over each other. First time, first time <laughs> Kinks. I want to talk about bunny Larocque, just cause it's one of the best names ever in hockey. And <laughs> Adam and I are big fans of the film slap shot. Like everyone is, was he kind of the Denny Lemieux of the of the Canadians? Like, was he the crazy backup <clears throat> goalie? Um, any quick anecdotes about Bunny?
2: Bunny was was very quiet, and he knew you know he was playing behind uh, Ken Dryden, yeah, who was you know the, the best goalie uh, year after year, or right up there, right in the business conversation. Kenny was the first to say that. Uh, you know, the team was so good and had the puck so much he didn't see a lot of rubber a lot of nights and that's for sure. But when, when he and Bunny, when the Vesna trophy would be handed out at the end of the year, it was for both, for the team, right? Right. And that's the way he and Bunny handled it. So they take everybody to lunch. Um And, uh, that was always the big thing. Oh, Kenny's buying lunch. That's what we would say, right? And Kenny was pretty frugal with his money. So we like <laughs> to give him a, a hard time. And when That's the, why it was Kenny's, lunch,
0: not dinner. Kenny's, I mean, gosh. Yeah, Kenny's
2: buying lunch. So we all went. <laughs> but back to Bunny for a moment. So it was difficult for him. And I'm sure he felt like, you know, what I was talking about a few minutes later, you, you just you, you want to play. And eventually he he did move on. Um, and the one thing I will tell you is the 79 Cup Finals against the Rangers. Uh, we lose game one. And uh, I talked to Phil Esposito, of course, you know, was in Tampa Bay. You know, he does right. radio, right? So we don't talk about this a whole lot. But he told me this a few years ago. He was playing for the Rangers at the time. So they win game one. And there's two days in between uh, games. And he said, he told the management, we got to go back to New York. We can't stay here in Montreal. Guys will be in the bars and whatever and, you know, thinking we're winning the cup already. We got to go home. And they said, no, no, we're going to stay. So anyway, whatever they did, they did, I don't know, but we didn't play very well in game one, Montreal, we lost and Kenny didn't play very well. So we come in for game two and Bunny's playing and all of us were going, oh, (laughs) nothing against Bunny, but it was Ken Dryden, right? (laughs) So Scotty was getting our attention for sure. And then Bunny, when Bunny played, he would, you like, don't talk to him, don't <laughs> talk to him. You know, he'd be off on his own, he'd be in the back room a lot, uh, and then just come out, put his stuff on and let's go. In the warm-up, I still remember looking across, Risebrow moves in where, you know, lined up on the blue line, taking shots and whatever. Risebell moves in close to the top of the circle. And I remember seeing the puck flutter just a little bit, takes a slap shot, goes from his blade and hits Bunny right between the eyes he's down and out I think he was unconscious for a few seconds so he's finally going to play in the Stanley Cup finals in game two and now he's out he's out of the lineup and rise feels terrible now we're all skating around and Phil Espo told me, he said, I don't, you know what? I kind of remember that, but he said, I didn't kind of really realize it probably because Dryden ended up being in the net and they were used to playing Dryden. But this is what was happening with us. So I go in the room and uh I was one of the earlier guys off the ice after the warm-up after Bunny got hurt. And I look, I go in the room and I look around, and it's a mess. There's t- Everywhere, and we used to have. This is before Gatorade. You know, it was like water and glasses of soda. You know, paper cups full of soda and whatever. I drank. You know, Pepsi in between periods. You know, that's Healthy. what we did. Yeah. Well, Bunny came in and lost his mind because they. What the hell happened here? There's soda dripping down the walls, and there's tape and everything all over the floor, and it's literally dripping down the walls. <laughs> and I went to our trainer, Eddie Polchak. I said, Eddie, what the hell? He went, oh, my God, Bunny lost his mind. This was his chance. And he said he just came in and the table in the middle uh, of our locker room, he just went. And he went and started just throwing glasses full of stuff and tape and everything against the wall. And when I heard the story, you know, it made me feel even worse for him because you know, it was his chance and it was gone. And then he was in the back room just laying down on his back oh. when he let the doctors talk to him. Like he went later, but that was it. So that was, oh. it was horrible for him. And then, you know, Stanley Cup Finals, it was game two. You've lost game one. All this is going on and you know, you got to play and we won. We wow. won. We won. That was, that was about as big a pressure situation as, uh, I think anybody could appreciate the Stanley Cup Finals, win. and we we won the game. I don't remember the score, but we won.
1: Wow. Well, wow. just just to follow up on your Montreal days, Brian. I mean, you did play there most of your career, the majority of your time in Montreal, right? Um, and all of us that have been there know what a, you know what a great jewel it is. But can you talk about you know maybe what separates Montreal from the other markets, and maybe how you adjusted after leaving there? um it's still really special
2: for me to go back there adam uh, you know i i love that city uh it just uh it's true what they say when you play on a championship team it never leaves you You know we are, were we're all we're friends for life and mm-hmm. uh the city is just so special and i get that feeling i mean i love just walking up and down st catherine street you know when, when i'm there <laughs> and doing the games of course in the bell center which looks so much like the forum um it's it's just such a such a special place it's different it's different than toronto um it it's unique and because of all the championships uh that creates an ambiance unto itself and a pride in the city uh the stanley cup parades you know were something i'll never forget I was in all three of those you know three of the four i should say um and that you never forget, you know, it, it's even back then in the seventies, that was, that was just incredible. Mm-hmm. So Montreal is a very special thing. It's true. They, you know, hockey's, uh, I, I think it's still the same, but certainly back then hockey was a religion, you know, and, and it, it was part of the DNA of, of the public, of the people of Montreal. Um,
0: so obviously, uh, the big move then becomes the day you get traded with Rod Langway to Washington Uh, did some background reading on it and uh, didn't realize at the time that Rod was in kind of a contract dispute and was threatening to, to, I guess, retire at an early age. So take us back to that day, because I believe it was right before training camp had started and you get the call from the GM, like what goes through your mind at that point?
2: It was a big time shock for sure. Um, I actually, had a call the night before norm kaplan norm kaplan became my agent he was a montreal guy he and art kaminsky were buddies and i said i started with art they sort of traded some you know the canadian side and the american side so when guys get traded you end up dealing sometimes with the other one anyway (laughs) norm became my agent and he got he got wind of the trade and so he called me the night before and he went this looks like it's going to happen. He said, I don't know all the parts, but I know you're in on it. David Poyle was the GM of Washington. Right. And behind the scenes, you know, I guess David had said to Norm, look, if, if one or two of these guys don't want to come, um, it was Doug Jarvis and uh, Craig Lachlan were also in on the deal for Rick Green and Ryan Walter. That was the right. deal. And so David had said to him, it was David's first deal. So he's doing a big deal here. You know, he had been assistant, but he's the GM in Washington. So uh, if these guys don't really want to come, you know, can you kind of uh, find out? That's, you know, looking back on it, I think that's how the conversation must have gone. Wow. So I went, I was stunned and I went, uh, well, you know what? If if that's the way it's supposed to be, then that's the way it's supposed to be. So, Okay. You know, and because going back to what I'd said before, you know, I, I there were times where I wanted to leave and go play somewhere else because I wanted to play. Well, part of me saying, well, you got your wish. <laughs> you know, and I was playing regularly, you know, and, and I was, you know, way bigger part of the team by the time this had happened. Um, and so, I, you know, I, uh, I'd already been, you know, that year I'd been second team All-Star, you know, at the end of the year. So uh, I went, okay. You know, if that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, and it, it was it was a great experience. And quietly to Rod, uh, to Rod's favor. Yeah, it was about income taxes, Quebec was unreal at the time. I forget where we paying, but it was like 60% or 62% Ouch. total. And plus he was American. He was, you know, so he's paying us taxes and he's from New Hampshire and he's from Boston. Anyway, but born so in Taiwan, asked, but I born didn't in, even know. Yeah. And we were good friends, but he kept it very quiet. You know, that's the way these things should be. So I guess he went to the management and went, no, nothing against you guys, but I want to make some money too. So <laughs> cannot I go? And so that's where it started. And from what I heard later on, it was uh, Ryan Walter and Rod Langway. And those were the two guys and all the rest happened
1: along the way. Wow. Wow. Well, Brian, I mean, you've you've been an outstanding broadcaster for quite some time now. You're Tampa Bay Lightning feature and and Cornerstone. And um, I guess I'm just curious for you, when you made that adjustment to broadcasting, uh, what was what was the hardest part of that that uh, move?
2: Uh, well, first of all, after I I I had to have surgery on my neck, so I quit playing earlier than I otherwise would like to have. I'd like to have played another three four years if I could have, mm-hmm. but I had I had a fusion on my neck, and I was done. Especially back then. Um, they said, no, you know, with insurance companies, the teams, they're like, uh-uh, sorry, you, you can't play anymore. So I went, okay. And I kind of, I had a couple of jobs, uh, in the real world, uh, for a couple of years. And I really, uh, I really missed the game. And so, uh, I was living in LA, uh, cause I kept my house there cause I played for the Kings for a short time. And even though I got traded away, I was back pretty quick cause of an injury. And so, um, they had done simulcasts for years, but they were going to split it up. And I heard that through the grapevine. And so they would have two teams of broadcasters. So I called and went, uh, radio, Jimmy Fox, who was still there, was yep. going to do TV. And I knew that. Um, and so I said, radio, are you looking for a guy on radio? I'm I'm your guy. And so they they took me. So that was 91, 90, 91, I, I think. And so I did four years of radio with uh, Nick Nixon, who was terrific to me. Um, and I learned to talk about the game on radio, which which is great. Uh, and then 1993 is the first year of ESPN2. It first came on the air. And so I got a call out of the blue saying, how would you like to come on audition for, you know, some TV games? And I literally was like, okay, sure. <laughs> So they flew me out to Bristol, all the way from LA, and uh, the late Tom Mees. I sat down on a monitor with him, with some bosses literally leaning over a counter and watching <laughs> us. And I'm like, "This is making me nervous." And, and I was on a monitor about as big as my iPad right now, and it was a game. And I said, "Look, this is a Chicago-Detroit game." I still remember from you know from last season. And I said, "Look." i they didn't tell me who, you know, was, or what game or whatever. I said, I can't remember all the numbers and everything, you know, and they said, well, wait, wait, don't worry about that. Don't worry. It's okay. We just, you know, want you to talk, whatever. And I'm thinking, well, that's easy for you because that's part of what I do, right? Just <laughs> going well, so-and-so did this and that player, uh, whatever. And the recognition's not going to be there because this was end of August, I think. And so anyway, so I do it with Tom. Tom was great to me. I didn't do a stand up or anything. That's all we did was put the headset on, talk about this game for, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes. And then he said, okay, thank you very much. And I remember going home thinking, yeah, I'm not doing TV anytime soon. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then
2: they called me, I don't know, a couple of weeks later and said, how'd you like to do some games? I said, again, I'm like, okay. <laughs> 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 and, uh, the Kings were great, and uh, I think I had to miss uh, two games, partly because of travel and whatever. So Nick Nixon worked alone, but they were very good and they said, yeah, this is a great opportunity for you. It makes us look good too. And so I think I did about six or seven games uh, that year, and then six or seven the next year, and then in 95, I signed a full-time deal with uh, ESPN. And then I was working with Gary Thorne and Bill Clement. And Clement in particular really took me under his wing and really helped me a ton. And I mean, cause I, I died a few times in the air, believe me, oh, I, had, <laughs> I, had some, I had some stumbling times where things, I remember a monitor wasn't actually working when they threw down to me. And I looked at a black monitor and I'm trying to remember what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and then he, well, it was Chris off too, it was something on Shelly. And then, you know, and then he guy came wide on him and, and they're going like, what's wrong? And the stage <laughs> manager had kind of just gone to sleep. She's standing there and she didn't realize. And I'm kind of waving like this. And she looks down and goes, oh, oh. And then she gets on the heads. And finally, they put it on. They would fed it into the wrong monitor. Right. Oh, boy. So. I was beside myself. I I was going to jump off a bridge, you know, after Uh, it was ugly. Bill just goes, come on, let's go. Let's go have a glass of wine and sit down and talk about it. So we did. He talked me off the ledge and uh, he was really good to me. We talked about, okay, so whatever happens again, you know, what are you going to do? And, you know, things like that, basic things, but I needed to hear and I didn't know even though some of it you know logically okay this is what you should have done and uh, this is what i would do now but at the time it just you just freeze up so bill was terrific to this day we are still very good friends and i owe him a ton and i tell him that all the time that's that's great
0: do you ever get back on the ice and play or like just skate around
2: i I haven't in years i i have too many problems still because of the the neck fusion i get numbness and you know even when I sleep wrong sometimes so it it didn't fix everything so it gives me just too many issues and too much pain it's not worth it I haven't skated in years Um the first few years I did especially with the SPN um I played what couple of those legend games that they used to have when Espen was doing it on the all-star weekend that was a blast the one year they put a, a little camera on my helmet and uh <laughs> and then i was in the room sitting beside henry richard one time um and that was terrific to listen to him talk he and pie mckenzie was in boston pie mckenzie oh, wow. who to that time still hated each other i was standing <laughs> outside uh in in the hallway and Pi pie walked by henry goes hi henry and Henry just looked at him, and, eh. and, <laughs> just, and I went, "Oh my God!" Even all these years <laughs> later, they still don't like each other. I mean, it was so evident. And I sat beside Gordie Howe another time too in one of those, and uh, it was terrific. So you know, some great memories. But really, I haven't in years and years and years haven't skated. Just too many issues. For
0: the just, helmet that the helmet that you wore was it the Jofa?
2: Uh, all, in, the, when I, when the camera was on it. Yeah, no, no, oh, it was, right. it was whatever it was, a CCM or whatever, just so they could mount it. It was a little camera right on the, right on the front.
0: Cause you were definitely well, rocking the European look back with the Jofa. That was
2: uh yeah, with the Jofas. Yeah, it was uh well, I mean, I could have gone without a helmet, right? Because back then, you know, you the Langway wasn't wearing it. a lot of the guys, Serge, Larry, you know, Gila point, they didn't wear helmets and until the end of their careers. Um, but yeah, I was I was too afraid to do that. But the OFA was so light that was uh, it. It was good, and the other ones just didn't fit very well.
0: Yeah, we had a little technical issues. This is what's called the first show kinks. You got to work out. So we lost Brian, internet connection at the hotel in Chicago. That's what happens when you don't pay your bill. I just gotta say. So you know, hopefully we'll get that squared away. But Brian will be back. He promised us he will join us again later in the season. So again thank you brian engbaum for uh, for doing the show and uh, coming up next DeAndre lou
1: okay everyone well we're back now with uh, Deandra lou she's the hockey news website reporter for the tampa bay lightning she's an experienced veteran of the the hockey game and she's been fortunate i guess to cover a really great franchise in the lightning in in particular you know it's you could be in toronto where year after year it's misery for <laughs> for 50 years but um, just give us uh, a, a feel for uh, where the Lightning are right now. I know they had a, a subpar playoff last year, but um, they're still battling it out, right? This is still a team that that is in its competitive window. And, and I guess I'm curious to know um, your experience in, in covering this team and leading up to where they are today.
3: Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you guys for, for having me on, um, you know, I would say like this team this year and and going back to the playoffs, you know, losing in the first round to Toronto was obviously not ideal and not the norm for the lightning. We've seen how much success they've had. I would say in the past decade since John Cooper got there, but specifically, you know, in the past five years, um, to Stanley cup, Stanley cup final, but, uh, yeah. So, because of the salary cap as as everyone knows, and it's been very well documented. It was a tough summer for the lightning. Um, they had to let go of some key veteran players, key locker room guys, you know, like Pat Maroon and Alex Kalor and Corey Perry, those guys. And, you know, you're kind of starting to see the effects of that now. Um, this is still a very competitive team and, you know, but it's, it's a different team. It's a different team than what we've seen without those guys. So, they're going through a bit of a transition phase, I would say, kind of trying to figure things out. They have a new defensive system that, um, you know, they're trying to to work out and figure out the lines. I mean, there's just a lot going on. And then you add Andre Vasilevsky, obviously, um, being out there to start the season. That was kind of something that was very unexpected. So, you know, they, I think, you know, under leadership of John Cooper, obviously, I mean, to doubt them would not be a smart thing to do. I personally don't believe, but obviously they're not happy with where they're at right now. So they are really looking to turn things around and kind of buckle down. And it's hard to believe, but we're only a little over a month into the season. It feels like there's been so many games. And, and I think with the Lightning, like, you know, we're just used to seeing them so consistent um, and just so successful. So this is definitely one of those years, at least to start off, they're really in a transition trying to figure things out.
0: Uh, I want to ask about the goaltending situation. Is it where you expected it to be? I mean, obviously Vasilevsky has the surgery before the season. Everyone is starting to prognosticate that the sky is falling. If 15 games into the season, uh, they're 6-6 six, six, and I think three, are are they kind of where you thought that they would be? Has the goaltending been better? Has it been worse? What have been kind of you know the issues um, aside from just the goaltending?
3: Yeah. Well, I think obviously when you have, you know, a guy like Andre Vasilevsky, he was, he was on the ice uh, for the beginning of training camp. We spoke to him and, you know, he was really excited. He said he felt healthy. Um, and then we found out that he was having back surgery. Well, obviously, you know, there's a little bit of panic there. That's a, that's a really big deal. He's pretty much the the backbone of this team and, and has been the key to their success. So, um, you know, Nobody really knew what to expect with Jonas. Um, obviously, that's a huge opportunity that he had to step into with not a lot of NHL experience. But I think overall, everyone's been pretty surprised. Um, you know, obviously, the Lightning did their research and they kind of knew. They're they're known for developing players um, and bringing out the best in them. But Jonas has not been the issue with this team. A lot of the issues stem from how they're playing in front of the net. So, um, you know, maybe Vasilevsky, when he does – come back in you know he might be able to change a little bit of what's going on but most of most of their issues go all the way back to the defense it's not really because of goaltending and Jonas has really stepped up and he's played almost every single game uh since Vasilevsky's been out and we do see Vasi's taking shots he's he's practicing again and, and we got to speak to him this week and you know it's kind of looking looking like he'll be back depending on how his body responds around Thanksgiving between Thanksgiving and December 1st is, is what they're looking at right now. That'll be exactly eight weeks. Um, But yeah, I mean, goaltending, I I really, to to be really honest, that's really not the issue with the lightning right now.
1: Well, another one, another issue that I do want to talk to you about kind of sprouted up at the end of training camp when Steven Stamkos talked about his contractual status didn't really seem happy and maybe a little bit frustrated at the lack of movement. Uh, on the cap front but or on the salary cap front and the contract front. But is this, you know, is, is uh, Julian Breeze was, is this part of the cap crunch for him that he's got to balance everything going forward and he's not going to be able to make everybody happy? As you say, he's already lost Palloran and Maroon and Andre Palat. And, you know, it just Montana. seems. Like, yeah. And that's what, that's what happens. The, you know, the, the cap just kind of whittles away at you bit by bit. But is that, is that, I guess, issue with Stand Close? Has that really reared its head since then? Or has he been able to kind of put it aside and just give it?
3: You know, um, well, it's funny that you mentioned McDonough because that's been a big topic the past few days here in Tampa, just with local media and radio, um, because losing McDonough was a huge deal. And, and looking back, you know, they haven't really recovered defensively Mm -hmm. since losing McDonough, and that's just kind of a fact. It's kind of obvious at this point, but um, you know, you really sit back and you look at what happens when you lose leaders like McDonough or, God forbid, Stephen Stamkos. When I look at it now, I could not imagine Stephen Stamkos retiring in another jersey other than a lightning jersey but yeah i mean the reality is right now and he was very very frustrated i I happened to be standing right next to him when he was he was asked that question he didn't bring it up he was asked i think that was maybe like the third question he was asked uh on media day and we were all pretty you know surprised to hear that there were no conversations he's such a pillar on this team and he's still producing at a high level Um, and so i think yeah. I mean, it, it is the reality that, you know, hopefully the, the cap is expected to go up, which will help a little bit, but um, you know, the reality is, yeah. I mean, there's guys that are sitting here. I would have expected Stamkos to have a contract extension read ready to go. And they really don't know where they're going to be at the end of, of the year. And and we've seen it, like we've seen it play out with injuries and lines shifting. And it's this year, this season is kind of a test to see like who fits where and to me, it's it's an obvious choice that Stamkos will stay, but um, I guess that is the kind of the reality we we didn't expect to see. I was very surprised to hear, and it's not really like Stamkos to show obvious frustration like that. He's very even keel guy, um, kind of takes things and and you know he he's not one to throw <laughs> anybody under the bus or anything like that. So the fact that he did vocalize that to me was a really big deal and and kind of a sign. So.
0: Um, I wanted to ask about Tanner Janot. Has he settled in? I think, you know, last year, I think the Lightning gave up five draft picks yeah. for, for him and uh, yeah. then he got hurt and didn't finish the season. How has he? How has his play been?
3: Yeah, I mean, Tanner is totally a different player than what we saw. Obviously, he came in at the trade deadline, uh, was dealing with a pretty brutal injury there right before the playoffs. So we didn't really get to see a lot of him For him, I think, you know, every time we speak to him, he's really focused on just being a better teammate and and really learning the system. And that's where his focus is. But he does bring a lot of physicality to the game. I think overall, obviously, he'd like to score more more goals. Um, And he did that, I think, you know, it was a couple years back when he was with Nashville. So I think obviously they want him to score more, but the physicality he brings is is kind of why he's there. And, you know, when you lose guys, again, not to go back to this, you lose a guy like Pat Maroon, who was the most physical player on the team, you know, regardless of how much ice time he got, you know, they had to make up for that somewhere. And, uh, right. you know, that's kind of where Tanner Janot steps in. And, and we see it, you know, when he stands up to guys and they will look, They'll look the other way. Um, so that's kind of his role in the team right now. But but he's physical and he's trying to get better and, and he wants to score more, and that's kind of where he's at. But um seems way more comfortable this season, comfortable in the locker room, uh, comfortable in the city, you know. So he he's kind of finding his way.
1: So, Jandra, I know we'll have you on for a couple more questions, but yeah. one of the guys I did want to talk about too is Victor Hedman. And yeah. you know, he he to me is like a lot of great stars they've got a lot of miles on their odometer right they've got a lot of a lot of experience and a lot of wear and tear on their bodies but to me obviously you saw that in the playoffs last year it didn't really look like he was at 100 percent um but this year how how do you see him uh playing and how do you how do you think he will change you know maybe having less you know less hockey to, to play last summer he'll he'll be a little fresher right
3: yeah, no, I think, um, and is still producing at a high level. Um, uh, Victor Hedman is such a leader on this team and it was actually really refreshing. I will say too, during training camp, he was really excited this year and you know, he's not used to having a long off season and, uh, he got a lot of time to rest, a lot of time to rehab. And he was really excited about some of the younger players that were coming in and just the new energy that they had. And, um, I've actually, really got to see him step up even more as a leader and you know he kind of vocalized and I think it was when Toronto was here a couple weeks ago um just the importance of like he and Stamkos and those guys that have been there for a while especially with the loss of so many veterans and and Alex Glorin would have been right in there as well but um it was just really important to him to stand up and lead especially when they're kind of going through a little bit of a transition um you know I don't want to call it like a rut or anything, but it's a a little bit of a struggling, you know, time for them right now. So he knows it's important for him to stand up and, um, he's been really vocal this season and refreshed and ready to go and, and healthy. And, um, you know, I know this talk about Victor Hedman and, and he's getting older and all these things, but like the reality is he's producing at a high level and he's a staple in that locker room for sure.
0: Now, I wanted to ask just kind of looking at so the, the Lightning are in a three game losing streak right now. They're in Chicago tonight. This will air after the Chicago game, obviously. Yeah. Edmonton coming up at home, Bruins, uh, Winnipeg, and then they hit the road for uh, Hurricanes, Lightning, Coyotes, which are no easy mark anymore. And then uh, a back to back with home and home with Dallas and uh, Pittsburgh. So the schedule's not going to get any easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming up for the lightning and so kind of what are your thoughts on they say that you know the US Thanksgiving is kind of the barometer do you fear it, like is there any trepidations that they could not make the playoffs
3: i mean i think right now the the reality is you know they they've had a pretty bad week um you know one more bad week like this and that's when it's, it's still early in the season, obviously, but that's when you'll kind of sit there and be like, okay, this is the reality of, of where they're at. And, you know, I didn't expect them, you know, obviously maybe like a transition, but I didn't expect them to struggle like they are right now. Obviously, when Vasilevsky does come back, which will be right after Thanksgiving, you know, it'll bring some momentum. It'll brighten their spirits and, and just having them in the locker room has been night and day for them um, but it's not going to change how they're playing in front of the net so yeah I mean I think if anyone can can figure it out it's obviously John Cooper but they do have a lot they have a lot to work out um, and they don't have room to you know bring guys in and, and move guys around they don't have that luxury right now so they're going to have to figure it out with what they've got now um, you know, another week like this and maybe we'll be having a different conversation, but there's still a really talented competitive team. They still have the ability to go to the playoffs. Um, and so, you know, we're going to see, I feel like the next few weeks are kind of a, a crunch time to, for them to, you know, figure out the issues that they've had. They do have okay. the ability. The talent is there, though. I want to be clear: like the talent is there. A lot of this stuff is mental, and and they're just kind of doing it to themselves. It's it's not a for a lack of of star power. That's for sure.
1: Okay, yeah. So I, before we let you go, we want to give you a chance to uh, talk to everybody about your your work now with the Hockey News. We're we're coworkers and and it's I know it's always a nice nice thing to meet new people and get new people involved with the game and the sport. And you You're a veteran, but you're still a young person. And and maybe you can tell uh, viewers what to expect from the rest of your coverage with uh, the Lightning. You really cover it all, don't you?
3: Yeah, so I'm really excited to be with the Hockey News now full time um, covering the Lightning. And I did some coverage actually for uh, the hockey news when they won the Stanley Cup. So I was really excited to come on board. And um, yeah, so I one of the things that that I really like to do with my stories, um, and I don't know if you guys are similar to this, but just maybe highlighting more of like, no, obviously you highlight the game, but the human aspect and the player. um, And I think, you know, especially with the way that the game is growing, I think that's something that piques a lot of people's interest. It's a passion of mine. So I try to kind of blend my coverage with a little bit of that, like the human aspect of the game, and then, you know, what happens on the ice as well. So yeah, I, I'm excited to be on here too. I appreciate you guys having me. Well, it's
0: our pleasure. And you're going to be on the very first show. So this will air.
3: Wow.
1: Early
0: <laughs> next week. I'm you're honored. Going to probably, yeah. You, go. you and Brian Angblom it's a lightning show. It's a show. I love episode. that. So we'll, what a, uh, what a crew it's, <laughs> definitely. Uh, so we're hoping to post this next Tuesday or Wednesday. We'll send it to you if you could share it, that would be awesome. Yeah. Cause we need viewers. Yeah,
3: know. no, this is great. Uh, anytime you guys want to have me on, I'm here.
0: We will be, Good. we will circle back in the middle towards, tr- towards uh, the trading deadline. Cause you know, Brisbois will be, uh,
3: you know, I say, I said on there, we don't, you know, the Lightning don't have a lot of room to to grab anybody or move anybody around, but I'm sure that he'll be a magician and and figure something out and then we'll be having a totally exactly. different conversation.
0: <laughs> well, we, look, we look forward to it.
3: All right. All right thank thanks, so. guys. Talk okay. to you soon. Talk to you Bye. soon. Bye.
0: Bye. Well, you made it through, folks. They said it couldn't be done, but here we are, <laughs> episode 101 of the Hockey News Archive Show in the Can. I want to thank our guest, Brian Ingblom, DeAndre Liu, coming up next week. We have an exciting show. Scott Hartnell, uh, former Philadelphia Flyers. Great. And also from the hockey news, Mike Tracos. He'll be here to talk about some early season surprises and disappointments. Um, and until then, we thank you and uh Keep watching. If you got any questions for us, go to the hockey news archive show at gmail.com. And also you could follow us at the Hockey News Archive Show on uh, Instagram. So anyway, thank you and Adam, thank you. This was great. I think we did it. Yeah, it was fun. All right. We'll see you next week. Thanks to all our sponsors as well. Have a good week.